Hello and welcome into Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. Thank you for watching us on the We the Patriots USA Rumble channel and Red Voice Media, and for listening on New Hampshire Family Radio WLMW 90.7 FM Manchester, New Hampshire, KKVB Radio in Las Vegas, Real Talk 93.3 The Voice of Freedom in St. Louis, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like us on your station, email us at Taryn at WeThePatriotsUSA.org. When Kimberly Overton of Remnant Nursing reached out and sent an email through my good friend, Kevin Tuttle of Spirit PR, alerting us to this medical kidnapping case with four-year-old Autumn Schaller and her wife, or her mother, excuse me, Hope Schachter, reaching out, desperately needing help. I said, I have to talk to this mom. I have to hear from her, and I have to hear this story. Uh, this is a heartbreaking story, you guys, and it aligns right along with all the work we are doing here at We the Patriots USA. We've taken on other medical kidnapping cases. We've alerted you to the rising um, issue of medical kidnapping throughout our various hospital systems, throughout the child protective services systems in each and every state, and all of this. And again, it falls under that bigger umbrella of standing up for our children. That's what we're doing with our film premiere this week on Thursday, the world premiere of our documentary, Shot Dead, which is chronicling three families who lost their children and their babies to the COVID shot. If you go to shotdead.org, you can sign up and put in your email. You will get the link to view the live premiere from Tulsa on November 9th. And if you're watching this on some of our broadcast partners um, and it's already past Thursday, you can go back and watch the red carpet premiere for free at shotdead.org. And again, it aligns all with this story that we're talking about today, this heartbreaking interview that I'm about to do with Mon Hope Schachter, who um, just recently rescued her daughter, Autumn, from the hospital system in California. And their fight is long from over. You do not want to miss the details that includes blood transfusions, putting their four-year-old on a ventilator and dialysis, much of which against parental uh, consent, all when they enrolled her in an E. coli case study, when the parents brought her in to the local ER, just, you know, with elevated, uh, she was feeling pretty sick, wanted to help her out and just things snowballed very quickly. And they used their child um, for quite frankly, experimentation and wouldn't let them leave the hospital. This is a heartbreaking story you're going to hear today on Faithful Freedom. This episode is brought to you by Cardio Miracle, a vitamin D and nitric oxide solution that supports better cardiovascular and overall health for your gut, your brain, your muscles, your skin, your hair, your heart, your whole health. Learn about John Hewlett's discovery at CardioMiracle.com. This episode is brought to you by The Carnivore Bar, providing a fuel source for ancestral carnivore, paleo, and keto eaters who value their on-the-go autonomy without sacrificing quality nutrition. For 10% off, use code WETHEPATRIOTS at carnivorebar.com. That's WETHEPATRIOTS with an S at carnivorebar.com for 10% off. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. 
Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. I am delighted to speak to Hope Schachter here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson in just a moment. But I want to remind you all that our premiere, Shot Dead, is coming up this Thursday. And here is the lineup for the live premiere. Starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, the red carpet event will begin, followed by a live uh, performance from Brad of Five Times August to um, uh, put his song, Fight For You, in our documentary. We will show you the film, the world premiere of the film, and then a panel discussion to follow. You can sign up to get the live link at shotdead.org. And now we welcome in to the program, Hope Schachter. Welcome in to the show. And, you know, our heart goes out to you and your family for everything that you guys have been through. Let's start um, at the very beginning of your story with your daughter, Autumn. When was it that she was not feeling well and you guys decided to take her into your local ER there in California? It was probably about... Uh almost a couple months ago now, about seven weeks ago, my son actually got diarrhea. Um, he's a toddler, so uh, he was in fine spirits. Um, he just, yeah, seemed to have like a little bit of a tummy bug or something. And um, uh, that lasted about three days. And a couple days later, my daughter uh, pointed to her stomach and she said, um, I have to go potty, but I can't and it hurts right here. And so um I took a wait and see approach. We're actually fire victims from a few years ago, and she's always had a pretty sensitive constitution. Um, just I think you know her nervous system is is sensitive, and that that continues to play out um, through our through our story. Um, but uh, you know, I figured I'll I'll kind of observe and see how she does. So um, the next day, she wound up telling me again her her tummy hurt, and she threw up once. And so I had my husband come home from work and she proceeded to have diarrhea, uh, but it was every 20 minutes. So that was not the case for my son. Um, and it was every 20 minutes around the clock. So after three days, we actually took her to the local urgent care and she, um, you know, she was able to maintain fluids just fine, but she was, you know, not, uh, able to eat a ton of food. And, um, I was just concerned at how depleting she was depleted she was getting. And so, um, they, you know, heard that my son had had something and they sent us home and another two days went by. She's still having diarrhea every 20 minutes, uh, literally to the T I can do the countdown, um, till when she's going to have it again. And, so we took her back to urgent care and they mentioned something called intussusception. And intussusception is a intestinal or colon prolapse. And when you look up the symptoms, it says diarrhea every 20 minutes. Um, and the way to resolve it is using um, an enema. So in order to get that done, we would need to go to the hospital and even to diagnose it, they have to do a pediatric uh, ultrasound or CT scan. So we left um, urgent care and we went to the local emergency room. They ruled out with an ultrasound into susception and I still wasn't convinced. So I did have them do a CT scan and they said that it was not, uh, it was not into susception. So 
Um, even before the emergency room, I was impressed that she was able to urinate as much as, much as she was. Now, at urgent care, they would not take a stool sample if you um, urinate in it at all. And she's four years old, so separating diarrhea from urine is difficult. Um, and so uh, my husband had kept the little um, sample cups. And, uh, you know, that morning I had said to him, like, he was like, well, maybe we should, you know, at least test her urine too. Um, maybe we'll find something out. And I said, well, I'd be surprised if she could fill that whole thing up. Even though we were able to push a lot of fluids, um, diarrhea, you just tend to get dehydrated. And he said, no, she's been peeing just fine. And she did. She filled the whole thing up and then some. And so, uh, you know, we're at the emergency room and um, they're, you know, willing to test her stool here, unlike at urgent care, uh, even if it does have urine in it. And they come back to tell me that she has an E. coli infection. Um, they start talking about maybe, uh, you know, an IV or something while we wait to get transferred to a children's hospital because the local hospital does not um, treat pediatric E. coli. So during that time while we're waiting for a potential transfer, um, they are in consultation with Lu Lucille Packard, the, the closest children's hospital. And they come to tell me that um, in order to uh, help with what will be fluid management, like while we're going to, you know, where we're going, that's going to be what they're focusing on because with an E. coli infection, I later come to find out the justification for um, kind of the protocol that they use, that they feel that the E. coli creates a toxic byproduct that can impact kidney function. And so they want to uh, administer a diuretic. So I feel like well, they probably know what they're talking about, maybe. I mean, I'm always uh, hesitant to administer any medication. My daughter had never even had Tylenol before. She had never been sick. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I did proceed, but with a bit of hesitation about how this treats a, a diarrhea issue. Um, and I remember the first real red flag to me was that um, Autumn had been urinating fine, but then when the nurse tells me that the diuretic they're gonna administer is called Lasix, and that when they give it to adults, typically it works within an hour. It's very forceful on the kidneys, but that often patients um, around the 15 to 20 minute mark don't even make it to the restroom before they're urinating a lot of output. Um, and right around that time, uh, around the 20 minute mark, uh, Autumn has a ton of urine and diarrhea come out of her. And given that she's been having so much diarrhea, and yes, she has been doing pretty well with fluids, it's still a lot of urine for a four-year-old. So I just remember feeling alarmed at the amount of urine that she put out. Um, and so, and, and thinking like, just how does this exactly work with the E. coli, right? Like how does the, her system has already been under assault and, and this seems really forceful for a system that's been under assault. Um, and so, um, yeah. And so, your mama, uh, your mama bear instincts are, are going off at this point. And you know, yeah. that's something that I always tell parents that it's so key that you, that you, that you listen to that mama bear, that parental yeah. instinct that, um, that you were given innately and to trust it and to go forth with it. And I know you, um, do hear in your story, which we will hear the rest of in just a moment, including how she got involved and wrapped up in this so-called case study, which just escalated everything. So in just a moment here on faithful freedom, 
with Taryn Gregson. But first, I want to tell you guys about a case update that we recently had from a separate medical kidnapping case that we took on on We the Patriots USA. And we were pleased to announce that due to the efforts of WTP USA, an excellent legal counsel, that the state of Missouri backed down and returned custody to parents Amanda and Paul Guidry, who had their four children medically kidnapped by the state simply for using the alternative medical treatment chlorine dioxide that Big Pharma can't profit on. But the battle is far from over, just like the battle for Hope and her daughter Autumn are far from over. We are now exploring a civil lawsuit against the state of Missouri and also have an upcoming hearing to remove Amanda and Paul from the state's child abuse registry, something we'll also talk to Hope about here in just a moment on the show. Please support our work by making a donation today at wethepatriotsusa.org. Welcome back into Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. And we are talking with mom, Hope Schachter, about her daughter, Autumn, who um, went through a horrific um, case study in the hospital. And after you know going in, wondering what was going on with the excessive diarrhea that Autumn was having and then administering um, a medication that alarmed you, Hope, how then did uh, Autumn get enrolled in the, the hospital there? And in Palo Alto, California, their their case study that that put that put Autumn then through even more rigorous medications. Well, I think what people don't realize, and we did have a visitor that um, came to the hospital and said she wanted to hold a sign outside so people understood. Now, I I'm going to be very transparent that I actually worked at Lucio Packard as a marriage and family therapist many years ago, like eight years ago, maybe 2013 to 2015 ish, somewhere around there. Um, and I worked there for a couple of years, uh, so I am aware of what a teaching hospital is. So when you're going to a teaching hospital, these are residents and fellows um, that are under the um, guidance of an attending who you do not see anywhere near as often as these students who are learning. And so, um, you know, I was not uh, reassured about going to a children's hospital. Many children's hospitals are teaching hospitals. So when we arrived, um, Autumn was continuing to have a, a lot of urine output to the point, you remember she, she had been administered this harsh diuretic, this Lasix. And um, she had been wearing cloth diapers during, we live in a very rural area. So she's been potty trained since she was very young. But um, when you're having diarrhea every 20 minutes to get to a hospital, even, you know, we try to pull over, we have like a little potty, but she doesn't always make it. And so she had cloth diapers on um, when we were transferred and um, she arrives at their hospital completely soaked through this cloth diaper and her pants. Um, and so again, these alarm bells are going off. I know what I'm walking into. Most people do not. Um, and so when we get there, you know, immediately it's a lot of residents coming into the room. And I said, I don't want to speak to a resident. I want to speak to the doctor. I want to speak to the attending. And so it, eventually the attending shows up um, and uh calls her, you know, he says, well, she will be the case study of the week. Now, I don't like that said in front of my child. I don't like that said about my child, but I was not surprised that that is how they view working on a case of what they say is a, um, it, it was diagnosed as HUS. Now, when you have like a, um, a UTI that becomes a kidney infection, uh, they don't have a separate syndrome, but evidently with, you know, E. coli, they do. So when you, it starts to impact your kidney function, um, it's called hemolytic uremia syndrome. Uh, and so that's what they have diagnosed her as. And, uh, you know, they're seeing things in front of her that 
like if you're in, if you are involved in trauma informed care, which is a very, um, it's a big catchphrase right now. Uh, you would not use something like calling a child a case study. You also wouldn't say things like the way they were speaking to me. Um, you know, are you taking the seriousness of this disease um, into consideration? Into consideration, she could die in front of a four-year-old. Like, so she's screaming, like, "Hold me, hold me!" Um, and the way they're speaking about her, right? They have, you know, they they attending. They have the residents behind them and the fellows, and um, they're all kind of observing how this takes place, right? So it is treated as though, um, you know, she. She is part of an experiment, right? And and so, um, you know, they talk a lot and you'll hear in the story about the standard of care, but as a parent, our job is to, that the standard of care is very generalized, right? This is what we generally practice. And, and as a parent, I know that I am, my goal, my job is to make that care individualized to Autumn, um, which they push back against. So, you know, right off the bat, they want to do Lasix. They want to add in another diuretic called Diaryl. Um, and eventually they want to add in based on her blood work, um, something called aminophilin. And I'm asking to pace all of this again. I'm telling them like, she's never even been on Tylenol. Um, you know, I know her constitution is very sensitive. Um, and also my family history has a lot of, um, you know, allergies to medications. Uh, I, you also hear in, in our story that I have um, a very high tolerance to sedatives to um, those medications. So um, unfortunately, that that does uh, play out for Autumn as well. And so when I ask to pace it, um, the attending comes to speak to me and is saying that it's obvious I don't have her consideration in mind or her safety in, in mind. Um and that, uh, you know, if I did, I would be taking this far more seriously. Um, and so, you know, I let them kind of lump these, these medications together and they, their protocol is to, um, kind of give them in high doses, um, together and then space those, those out a little bit to, to give, uh, that hour or so, um, or a little longer time to kick in, right. To really force her kidneys to have a lot of output and, Unfortunately, I had a gut feeling with the aminophilin when they had wanted to add that one on, but you know, I'm feeling the um, hostility of the environment, and so I allow it, and Autumn winds up throwing up blood. And that happens twice before, um, you know, and I'm saying to the nurse, this, I know this is happening because of all these medications and adding the aminophilin in. And she actually says to me, you know, as a mother, I, I trust your, I trust your instinct. Um, and the doctors do remove the aminophilin, but they continue to push these diuretics on her, um, to the point where within a few hours, her, um, urine output is dramatically going down and she actually enters kidney failure where there, she is not having any urine output anymore. Um, and so, uh, you know, they come to me again and, um, this is another round of doctors and, and, uh, residents and fellows because they do these shifts where they trade off and, um, they tell me that, you know, the next phase of their, their protocol would be, um, a constant drip of Lasix. Uh, they would also include Diarel and eventually we do go on to do it, um, uh, where they trade off the Lasix with Bumax, which is its equivalent. And I'm confused because I'm like, well, her kidneys aren't functioning. So shouldn't we be talking about dialysis? Because that's something they mentioned right in the kind of big case study of the week, you know, conversation is like, eventually they could have to have dialysis. They could, you know, sometimes their kidney function doesn't come back at all, which, um, you know, 
when I wound up working with Remnant and speaking with medical advocates, and just when you're researching these drugs, um, you you find that Lasix actually the the number one uh, risky side effect, the the highest risk is kidney injury and kidney failure. Um, so obviously, I was not given informed consent about that. And if children don't have kidney function come back at all, and I said this to them at some point then how do you know, right? They're telling me HUS is like a roller coaster. It's an up and down. It's a back and forth. And, um, you know, it's so unpredictable. And yet, how do you know it's not the protocol that you put them on that led to permanent kidney failure? You don't know if that's a side effect of the medication. You're going to say it's the syndrome. I'm going to say it's the medication and no one can prove each other wrong. Um, and so, uh, you know, I want to talk about dialysis now. And they're saying, no, we need to move her to the ICU for this drip, um, you know, as though dialysis is, you know, so much riskier. But I'm saying, well, if her kidneys are in failure, the risk of making them angrier, right, seems like it would lead to potential lifelong dialysis or chronic kidney disease. Um, but they don't, they don't really want to address that, right? They're acting as though this, this LASIK solution is going to buy us more time. And we'll pick up the story here in just a moment on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. There's so much more you guys need to hear, and there is a little bit of a happy ending. So just a moment, stick around here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. But first, I want to talk to you guys about the medical emergency kits from the wellness company. Um, these are huge. These can be such a big game changer for so many of us because we know that awake doctors like Dr. M Peter McCullough um, know that people, in fact, over 40 Americans say that they would avoid a doctor or a hospital unless it was a catastrophic situation. You're hearing that um, from Hope and her family right now. Well, now they have the medical emergency kits that you can get at twc.health slash WTPUSA where they have eight potentially life-saving medications for you to keep on hand in times of need. Uh, the kit also includes a comprehensive guidebook so you never have to guess how much to take or when to take it. They include antivirals, emergency antibiotics, antiparasitics to keep you and your family safe. If you're like me and you want to make sure your family's prepared for the unexpected, go to twc.health WTPUSA and use code WTPUSA to save 10% at checkout. That's twc.health WTPUSA, code WTPUSA for 10% off. Welcome back into Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. We are speaking with Hope Schachter, a mom who has been battling with the hospital system after her four-year-old daughter, Autumn, was medically kidnapped and put into this case study where they put her through all of these rigorous medications. And now you're to the point, Hope, in your story um, that, that they are wanting to continue with these rigorous medications and you're asking for an alternative. You're saying, hey, these aren't working. In fact, um, you're asking to keep her and to heighten these things, these medications that aren't working and that are in fact making her worse. Let's talk about something different to do to help my daughter. Um, what happens next after they're saying no to the dialysis? Um, what happens? I know that at some point a blood transfusion um, is talked about with her and um, things just continue to escalate, don't they? Yeah. 
Um, so <clears throat> I just want to point to something also about like moving her to the ICU that I, um, a catheter, a bladder catheter. Now on a four-year-old, that's very traumatic. And so I expressed to them, why would we put a bladder catheter in with a child who's having no urine? She's not making urine. Um, I would understand if we did a bladder scan and her bladder was full and she wasn't able to get it out, right? But um, I am requesting that we we do the bladder scans. And if a catheter is um, warranted, then, then we should go that route. And I'm told that that is the standard of care, that we will not be welcome in the ICU if we aren't willing to put in a bladder catheter, and that if we do wind up needing dialysis, which at this point she's in kidney failure, so that has a high likelihood that um, we'll just have to be medevaced somewhere, so good luck. So, um, you know, we get uh, pressured into doing this protocol, worried that we won't be able to have her, um, you know, get the dialysis that she needs. Um, so we wind up moving to the ICU, and this is where the, the issue of needing a blood transfusion comes up. And we actually, right when we got to the hospital, said that if a transfusion was warranted, we would want them to use my husband's blood. Now, um, right off the bat, we're told that, uh, that um, in order to get a direct donor transfusion, that uh, it's a very lengthy process that often, um, you know, uh, it's five to seven days to get in and there's a long turnaround, but that they have spoken to the lab and they'll be contacting us that day. And that is said to us morning and afternoon. And by the time we get through this, you know, Lasix, Diarel, Bumex drip, and nothing has changed. My daughter's still in kidney failure. Um, she is hemolyzing, and so she needs a transfusion. And um, we're furious that this has taken this long and that nothing has come to fruition about her getting the, the blood that is potentially the safest for her. Now, that has l even less to do necessarily with just the COVID vaccine and just the whole scope of blood transfusion in general around who is sharing body fluids with your child. So when you sign paperwork at the hospital, which it seems to me that most parents don't actually read because they made it sound like we were one of the first parents that pushed for this so hard to the point of them threatening a court order, um, was that, you know, you sign paperwork saying that you, um, you know, lift all liability and you assume all risk for, uh, you know, contamination with things like HIV, uh, hepatitis, all of that. Um, when, when blood is anonymously donated to your child. And I don't even know the lifestyle of the person that would be sharing body fluids with my child. I haven't donated blood in a long time, but, um, I don't know if this person smokes or drinks or what state their immune system is in. Um, and my daughter's immune system has been through so much already. So, um, you know, the pushback was, was interesting to me because why wouldn't they want the healthiest blood? Why wouldn't they want something that my daughter is far less likely to reject? Um, <clears throat> and so finally, my husband at this point, when she's hemolyzing, um, and they're, they're starting to talk about a potential court order, he calls the lab for direct donation and they inform him that he can get an appointment within 30 minutes, and that it's usually a turnaround time of three days or less. So, um, you know, they give us these parameters that she would need to meet in order to not have a court order issued. And within, you know, 24 hours, she is not 
she is not meeting those. She does need a transfusion. And um, my husband is the one who calls the supervisor at the lab and says, this is life or death. And um, they tell us that we could have our my husband's blood to us by 6 p.m. Now, why, why was the medical team not calling? Why was the medical team not the one saying, this is an emergency, this is life or death, get them the blood? Like, why is it us? Like, it is so odd to me that there was so much resistance. Um, and, you know, they're taking me out in the hall and they're telling me, like, what are you going to do if she needs another transfusion? Well, we will have, you know, friends or family that we're comfortable with donate. We also used organizations like Blessed by His Blood um, and Pure Blood Registry because you can, you know, not necessarily interview, but you can develop a comfort level by speaking directly with donors. Um and getting, getting to know them, uh, especially if it's going to be yourself or, or your child, a loved one or a child, right? Um, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, that's a part of this whole process where she eventually winds up needing dialysis and she is losing blood. Now, there are lots of things that take place that, you know, I could get into extensive detail about that um, are medical mismanagement and genuine malpractice where, you know, they, they improperly install the port line on her neck um, and she winds up losing blood from, from that um, because, you know, I tell them I don't want a resident performing that surgery on my child and um, that's, you know, met with uh, a bit of, um, you know, defensiveness. Uh, the attending says that they'll have a, a fellow perform it, that um, they assure me that they would never put someone who was not um, specialized enough uh, on on such a serious case as my child. Um, but, you know, fellows are not actually specialized. They're there to learn. And when I come back after that is being, that procedure is being performed, um, the the attending who said that they would be right next to the fellow during the whole procedure is out in the hallway at the nurse's station. The fellow is continuing on their own. They've made massive mistakes that they've had to redo. Um, and so, you know, that affects her, her dialysis treatments. <clears throat> so, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just really becoming an absolute cascade of, of, of medical mismanagement, which escalates, escalates further, um, with our story. So you're, um, still battling, um, this, the situation in the hospital. Um, how does it end up? Uh, we'll hear, we'll hear, we're going to go to a break right now and we'll hear whenever you come back, how that wraps up. And then now what you guys are doing in the last 10 minutes of the show here on faithful freedom, uh, in just a moment. Father Ernest Ramirez, who lost his 16-year-old son five days after the Pfizer shot. A quote from him, Ernest says, you need to stand up for the kids because it takes everyone. That's what we're doing with this show. And that is what we are doing with our new film, Shot Dead, premiering on Thursday in Tulsa, the hometown of one of the three children featured in our film who lost their lives to the COVID shot. It starts at 6 p.m., the red carpet event, followed by a live performance of Brad of Five Times August, whose song Fight For You is featured in this film, and the world premiere of the movie around 7 p.m. Eastern time, followed by a panel discussion. You can watch it all for free live at shotdead.org, and you can watch the red carpet premiere 
uh, anytime after that at shotdead.org or the We the Patriots USA Rumble channel. You will also, after November 9th and the live red carpet premiere, be able to watch just the film Shot Dead for free on demand at shotdead.org. How do you help these kids? How do you stand up for kids that are in this movie or kids like Hope? Just speak up, share this episode, share um, about this documentary. That is how you stand up for the kids. And we welcome back in for our final segment of Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, Hope Schachter, who has been fighting for her daughter, Autumn. And they've gone through this horrific um, saga in the hospital and, um, you know, the blood donation, all of that, all of these fights. I don't understand why they have to happen. They seem like logical things that parents would be wanting for their children. They just want their kids to get better. And yet the hospital system fights back. And not only do they sometimes fight back and resist what parents are thinking is best for their children, but then they have the state step in and get involved too. So what happened with you guys and how did this um, sort of wrap up? It's definitely not wrapped up, but how did it wrap up in the hospital? Um, so yeah, there continues to be a lot of medical mismanagement. Uh, you know, the, we continue to have issues with the port in her neck. We demand that it gets taken out. We talk about maybe a tunnel line, which is for long-term dialysis. Um, but her kidneys wind up coming back online, which was the point in dialysis is avoiding medication so that the kidneys get a break. Right. And so she does start urinating. There are a lot of mistakes that continue to be made on the hospital's part that eventually result in Autumn having a seizure. Now, we only consent to Autumn being intubated uh, for anesthesia for an MRI to rule out a stroke, and they wind up keeping her on the ventilator. Um, so, uh, you know, they're trying to tell me that, like, compression from the ventilator pushes fluid out of the lungs. Now I'm speaking with medical advocates at this point because I understand that ventilators are not treatment. They're not a treatment. They are a stopgap. Um, and so she continues to um, worsen to get uh, ventilator-associated pneumonia. Um, we were told at the time that BiPAP would be the alternative, but it's like having your head out of a car window, and um, this is the gentler option. But she, she is worsening, and she does not respond well, um, given my high tolerance to sedatives, um, to being sedated. She is thrashing. She is grabbing up the tubes. She's crying. Um, it's it's uh, becoming a massive source of trauma and she's not having the improvement that they're claiming. And we had worked so hard to avoid the Lasix from the beginning that um, one night in the middle of the night without my consent, they administer that diuretic again. Um, and so when I tell them that uh, it is illegal to administer a medication without the consent of the parent, especially because I had spoken to them about next steps extensively the night before to their um, begrudgment, um, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, I, I let them know that I will be filing grievances. Um, and within 24 hours, they call Child Protective Services. Um, now, the things that they claim that they want us to comply with, uh, we do under coercion, um, given that we are fearful about uh, the potential of having to have a hearing. Um, that does include uh, an alternative uh, diuretic, which, you know, we start out wanting something gentle, like hydrochlorothiazide, which is not as fast acting. Um, it's a four to six hour diuretic. Um, and then we, you know, want to move into a different thiazide before, before getting to something like Lasix or Bumex. Um, additionally, 
a neurologist had told me that, uh, you know, they're concerned about uh, risk for kid, the impact of the kidneys if they administer an anti-seizure medication. And so I want to speak with the doctor about alternatives, but she won't come to the room to speak with me. Um, uh, on top of that, they want to install a PICC line, even though they just put in three new IVs. And I'm concerned with the, the, the um, appearance of what would be pneumonia in her x-rays and how, um, you know, if she has an active infection, like is putting in a pick line safe because it's against hospital policy, but we follow through on all those things. And yet we're told um, the morning after CPS has visited us that we are uh, not in compliance, which I say to them, her medical record will prove otherwise. And um, the doctors are still telling the the caseworkers that we're not in compliance and, and um, moments before our hearing, because the hearing was made for that day, um, they tell us that, oh, the doctor said you're in compliance now, but um, there's going to be a hearing anyway. And in that hearing, they, um, you know, really try to deem us as unfit, right? There has been so much medical mismanagement at this point. The likely safest way for them to cover themselves for malpractice is to, to deem us unfit. And they do so with things that are really horrific. Now we haven't received due process, so we don't find out what their claims are until during the hearing. And we don't receive the documents that were provided to the court until after the hearing. And neither does the uh, attorney that's appointed to us. But something that um, is a, a perfect example of how they, how far they would go is that they say that, um, now, now Autumn has very sensitive skin. So we have these organic wipes for these diaper changes while she's on the ventilator, um, but they won't heat them up for her. So they're cold. And so given her her uh, difficulties in being sedated, when something cold is applied to her, she becomes distressed. She's thrashing. She's crying. She's grabbing at the tubes. It is unsafe. And um, I request that, look, these are disposable diapers you're using, which we've never used before, um, but uh, they're absorbent. And so could we wipe her every other diaper change with these cold wipes? And that way, if she is somewhat sedated that we're not putting her in further distress. And they have written a letter and in that letter, um, in the hearing, we hear that they are saying that the mother is requesting to leave her child soiled after diaper changes. Wow. So like um, the extent, right? And I'm horrified by the way that they are trying to see, sorry, to smear us as her parents. Yeah. Um, in order to justify the measures that they want to take, right? Um, I can't even imagine going through that hearing and sitting there and having to go through that. But for the sake of time, because we only have a few minutes left, I want to fast forward um, to uh, the next part in this. And how is it that you guys get Autumn home? I'm, I was yeah. so thrilled to hear that you do um, get her home. How does that happen? Yeah, so we actually wound up being connected with a home health care doctor who it still takes a, a lot of um, advocating to the point of getting, you know, insurance involved about her qualifying for a lower level of care, right? Like her ability mm -hmm. to be put on BiPAP and then, and then they're telling me a week of BiPAP and then, and then they speak to this home health care doctor who was an ICU doctor himself for many, many years that, um, you know, she qualifies for, you know, even lower levels of care. And then all of a sudden, within 24 hours, she's fine. She doesn't need BiPAP. There's these chest moves to claim that, well, she has chronic kidney disease, so we need to keep her still. And we need weight management and electrolyte management. And he's saying, well, we can manage those things from home. But if, you know, you get insurance involved and say, you know, 
you file a grievance with your actual insurance, not just the hospital, they will do an investigation. And I told the hospital on our final day there that they let me know that if I do not file a grievance by 4 p.m., that um, I may incur the cost of hospitalization, that it could wind up not being financially covered if she qualifies for a lower level of care. And it's funny how once you bring up money, how they may not get their money, you know, this is over like $10,000 a day, I believe my husband looked at, at, at the bill, right? That all of a sudden she qualifies to go home. Wow. So, um, you know, so now we're at home and they have continued to try to be involved. You know, they have pushed back against this home health care doctor, the, you know, the using phrases like refusing their treatment protocol and things like that. So we do uh, worry about, you know, the in further involvement with CPS, especially because um, they could not court order us because uh, we were in compliance. But they did try to issue strange things called, um, you know, a sua sponte where they could, you know, somehow override our consent if she was hospitalized and so um, as long as they could claim it was for a life-saving measure which which you could try to justify anything right and so um, you know we we have a, a large potential malpractice case a, a potential federal civil rights case given that we did not receive proper notice or due process um, but uh, mostly we also just want to keep autumn in in our care right like she is she is on that ventilator, this I'm haunted by the image of she is on that ventilator and she is thrashing and they're, you know, giving her boluses of fentanyl and Ativan and morphine and um, she's crying and she's in distress and her eyes are rolling in different directions and they're telling me they need to now administer my child, my four-year-old, an antipsychotic. And at the same time, they are trying to take her mother away and the caseworkers have smirks on their faces in the hearing. You know, my heart breaks for you and I'm tearing up listening to this because I'm a mom too. And I can't even imagine going through that. And I know that um, it's going to be something that haunts you guys, including Autumn, um, yeah. a four-year-old, uh, that she's going to have to deal with that emotionally. And you guys are too um, for a very long time. I know that you have an uphill legal battle um, ahead of you as well um, on various aspects with the hospital, insurance, CPS, malpractice, you name it. Um, you guys have a lot going on. So um, let people know how they can help you guys out um, moving forward. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, and I just want to speak to to the, you know, the the trauma of all this is I remember one of our last days, they have all these people dressed in like what look like garbage bags and masks on their faces and goggles on. And they're telling me that she is such a good little girl. She's so compliant. She always nods her head. Yes. And I get furious. And I say, that's because at this point, whenever you say, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Okay. And she says, no, you restrain her and do it anyway, or you drug her and do it anyway. And that is going to continue to play out in autumn's life. She's going to have to process that her body and consent for the rest of her life. Um, and so, you know, in terms of support, like we're definitely looking for legal support and then any other resources that people can offer. Um, Remnant Nursing has been so kind in helping to field that for us. So if you go to the contact page on their website, um, you know, you can send them an email of any resources that people are able to offer um, so that we can, you know, fight to keep Autumn in our care to restore her health and then to get her all the support she'll need to truly uh recover because they're you know while we will seek justice there is no real justice for autumn you know mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah. Nothing, nothing other than the fact that she is alive because there were parents I connected with who they, they were, you know, they received money after their child died from hospital protocols. Um, and so while I am grateful, I also want to make sure that she stays in our care um, and that she gets the help she'll need. Well, thank you for sharing your story because you're going to help other parents out there. We have to continue to bring light to this situation that seems to be just escalating here in the United States. It's always been happening under the shadows, but we need to bring it into the light. And so thank you, Hope, for doing so. We will provide that remnant nursing um, information in the comments section here and in the show notes for people. That is Kimberly Overton's um, uh, organization. She lost her job and took a stand during COVID and has done miraculous things to help people um, since then. Hope, thank you so much for joining us here on Faithful Freedom today. Thank you for having me and thank you for sharing Autumn's story. Yes. If you enjoy our content, prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible donation at wethepatriotsusa.org so we can continue to power the education arm of our mission that also extends to work to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. God bless and thank you from everyone here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. We the Patriots USA does not endorse or recommend any product or service advertised on this program. We the Patriots USA is not a healthcare provider and cannot provide medical advice or treatment.